Section 12 of the American Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The American Egypt by Channing Arnold and Frederick J. Tabor Frost. Section 12. In the Footsteps of Cortes on the coast from el cuyo to cape catoche and round as far east as contoy island are mounds sometimes many miles apart averaging about fifty or sixty feet in height we examined some of these they are obviously artificial quite roughly built of earth and unhewn stones and there can be little doubt were erected during the later years of the fifteenth and the early years of the sixteenth centuries as lookouts to warn the tribes of the interior of the approach of the spaniards around them there are no traces of buildings from them smoke signals by day and fire by night doubtless served as a perfect means of collecting the tribes at any threatened point from el cuyo recrossing the salt lakes which for twenty-four miles fringe the swampy forest coastlands at this part we took a directly east course for sixty miles profitless as this part of our tour proved archaeologically it was geographically of interest we have been enabled to prepare a map of this northeastern corner of yucatan which attains an accuracy no map heretofore published has attained this district is a dead level of primeval forest untrodden unknown stretching for forty miles inland and fringed by swamps which are anything from five to ten miles wide here and there we discovered traces of indian towns in no case suggesting much size the settlements of those sub-tribes which ranged this woodland and probably looked chichen wards for their supreme chief this belt of forest land forms the gigantic concession of a yucatecan trading concern la compañia agricola founded in nineteen o two but a really infinitesimal part comparatively has been brought by them under cultivation working with imported labor chiefly from cuba and mexico from the officials all cubans we received the most perfect courtesy and the most generous assistance in forwarding our progress along the coast and we shall directly describe a pleasant stay we made on their chief sugar plantation the days in the forest were monotonous enough we followed a mule track used by the woodcutters mile after mile the scenery was the same there is nothing majestic in the yucatecan forests you see no giant trees no mighty fathers of the woodland towering up the highest is the sapota from which the gummy sap chicle basis of all american chewing gums is obtained the characteristic of the forest is its deadly stillness thanks to the riverless nature of yucatan there is little animal life the swamps afford the hunt for the black duck for wild geese spoonbills ibis and flamingo and now and again you hear the hoarse cry of a parakeet 
or a wild pig bustles through the undergrowth but practically the forest is dead flowerless dark matted tangled underfoot matted tangled overhead the long snake-like lianas hanging like fairy ropes from the highest or weaving a network like the web of some monster spider between the shorter trees on the site of the ancient indian village of labka la compagna agricola has built itself a settlement which it has rechristened solferino on our arrival there we had the kindest welcome possible from the cuban superintendent who entertained us at a hastily improvised lunch what time he insisted on sending on in advance of us a message to the officials at the sugar plantation some ten miles off to prepare them for our visit the company is one of the richest in yucatan chiefly owing to the great saline lagoons over which we had passed from which is extracted rough salt for the sale of which they practically have a monopoly throughout northern and western yucatan exporting large quantities as well to vera cruz and other ports on the mexican gulf they have also undertaken chicle cutting and at solferino are opening up many acres of woodland for plantations of cocoa cotton and banana this latter settlement showed every sign of their growing prosperity being quite the model village with trim huts fronting on to large corrals filled with cattle and mules thence late in the afternoon we started for their sugar farm which is the industry latest initiated but in which as we afterwards learnt there is not so much profit as their enterprise deserves because of the cheap american sugars which are rapidly becoming a vast import throughout yucatan heading northward again we were soon once more among the swamps the forests thinning off and giving place to a low-lying country just the steaming hot miasmic soil for sugar a few miles further and we entered the first plantations each side of us stretching acres of the rusty green rush-like plants topping the purple yellowy canes each plantation marked with a board bearing the date of planting and the number of mecates in the patch ahead of us we soon saw the tall brick chimney of the sugar mill and then as far as the eye could see sugar cane stretched on either side of the track till we entered the settlement first a street of wooden huts each built up on a platform two feet from the ground and reached by a few wood steps like those of a bathing machine and then a wide clearing on one side of the sugar mill a huge shed-like erection on the other the large one-story-eyed bungalow built of mexican cedar the administrative building of the plantation here we were greeted by the chief administrator of the company with such courteous kindness as made us feel deeply the disadvantage we laboured under in being such poor spanish scholars senor sanchez was but fifty though he looked an old man the stooping shoulders the thin-waisted figure the hollow cheeks and sunken eyes the dried yellow skin 
told only too sadly their tale of bitter battle waged with the fever fiend for here where sugar grows men wither and the little cemetery lying a mile seaward behind the mill and established but a few years could already boast a larger census than the settlement we were invited within to a room which was roomy enough but not room-like in that it had no furniture save half a dozen rocking chairs the walls were bare and the boarded floor was innocent of carpet or matting and unseemly with a myriad expectorations here we were introduced to the staff a group of cubans rough bearded men in flannel shirts and leather-belted linen trousers grimy with coal dust and engine grease these were the engineers most of them men who had worked on plantations in cuba before the spanish-american war but had found their occupation gone owing to the dislocation of plantation work there and so had come across to yucatan they were rough enough but a real relief after the hypocritically civil yucatecans who had so far done their best to ruin our tour after a general conversation if indeed it deserves that adjective seeing that we had to shoot the spanish conversational rabbit as it dodged from rocking chair to rocking chair a move was made to view the engines the chief director of the company is a henequin millionaire and ship owner and no money had been spared to make the plant perfect a powerful american type of vertical engine of the very latest make worked the huge crusher and the centrifugal machine which separates the sugar from the molasses it was saturday afternoon and the mill was not working but the hands were loafing round and we were struck with the number of koreans the administrator told us that he had quite a village of these they are good workmen easily satisfied and stand the climate well another figure that attracted our attention was a huge bewhiskered nigger who on seeing us was all smiles he proved to be from belize british honduras and of course spoke good english he was almost childishly proud of his rights as a british subject and told us that he had served in one of the west indian regiments he said he liked the english soldier and that the officers were always kind and treated the black man well as we shook his hand in parting we were glad to learn that he was happy liked his work and was fairly treated the bulk of the men employed are mexicans as the administrator explained the great difficulty of the company is the dearth of labor poca gente poca gente he kept on repeating there are very few people for the indians around who have been terribly thinned off by mexican massacres will not work these mexican laborers are a good-for-nothing discontented idle lot and the calabozo or prison hut close to the engine house usually contained one or more of these recalcitrants drink is the great evil among them and the most severe restrictions are in force limiting the amount of liquor they can obtain from the company's store during the day 
at sunset dinner was served in an inner room opening out upon the filthiest yard imaginable there pigs dogs cats turkeys ducks and chickens ran riot and trespassed into the dining-room to see what good things the senores had for dinner nothing is stranger than the spaniard's disregard for those comforts of cleanliness which can fill even the humblest home with sweetness and light here was our host a spanish cuban of good birth with the manners of a prince courteous kindly cultured content to dine off a tablecloth so stained and filthy and thick with grime that the pickford's van boy would resent such a cover for his humble board at cafe lockhart or pierce and plenty it was nothing to him and his genial intelligent subordinates that the mustard pot was dark with dead flies and that ugly grease spots decorated the cloth which was ringed with the stains of myriad wine-glasses they were all living like pigs and indeed with them for the porkers came in and rooted under the table for the crumbs that fell from the rich men and we were rich as far as food was concerned for they gave us an excellent dinner of chicken and rice beef pork omelette boiled plantains and sweet potatoes with pineapple as dessert the waiters being two mexican boys who wore their straw hats and blankets all through their dinner duties the next morning we took our coffee with the administrator sitting round the same fly-marked cloth it was a lesson in spanish dignity and how a man may tower above his surroundings to hear this grim fever-stricken spanish gentleman talk history and politics in an almost stately old-world fashion amid such squalor he insisted that we should stay to take breakfast with him at eleven and we were glad we did for we witnessed a curious scene well worth seeing the previous evening the men had received their week's wages as we had sipped our coffee we had heard the young cuban clerk eternally calling antonio rodriguez lucio perez and such names and then the chink of mexican silver as the money hard enough earned in those steaming hell-hot sugar swamps was paid through the little iron-barred pigeon-hole but there was one of these fellows who had gone away discontented each man is paid according to the amount of cane he cuts this fellow who had only been employed a fortnight had cut none because he declared he had been engaged as an overseer not a hand laborer but during the two weeks he had had food and drink supplied him on credit and now he had come up for pay the clerk told him naturally enough that he would be paid when he did some work and not before so shortly after breakfast the man appeared before the pay office to once more air his wrongs the clerk referred the case to the administrator who was talking with us and the latter crossed over to the office a minute later we heard angry voices and then to our amazement the administrator dashed out of his office through the room where we sat and simply rushed at the grambler 
the latter backed off as senor sanchez made for him apparently to kick or strike him calling out threats he disappeared and we thought the scene was over but it was obviously only a dress rehearsal for he presently reappeared brandishing his machete it was really quite exciting the man was evidently going to run amok he was a sturdy fellow too bullet-headed bulldog-jawed evil-eyed just the man for mischief there was quite a panic in the office one old clerk picked up a long pole the administrator seized a workmanlike walking-stick but the coolest of the lot was a young cuban who with hands in his trouser pockets went forward to parley with the man it seemed that the outburst of the administrator had been due to the man's personal insolence and that he had then ordered him to surrender his machete this he was now brandishing and it certainly looked like murder but it was soon obvious that there was more cheap melodrama than business about the fellow he went down on one knee and appealed to heaven to witness that he would rather give up his life than his machete and then as the young unarmed cuban approached him he got up and retreated a few steps further but in such matters he who retires is lost and slowly but surely round him were extending like the horns of a zulu impi a semicircle of officials in the centre the administrator his fever-yellowed face grey now but with anger not fear his whole emaciated figure expressive of an almost demoniacal rage so the fellow made a bolt for it to his hut and when some half an hour later we started for the coast we saw him as we looked back disarmed and being led in by the plantation police to cool his heels for forty-eight hours in the calabozo the few miles which separated the sugar plantation from the sea were a kind of tropical saltings mud and sparse grass alive with small land crabs which galloped in hundreds to gain the shelter of boulder or fallen tree trunk as we approached with the utmost courtesy senor sanchez had insisted upon providing us with a boat for our journey to holboch lying four miles from the little rickety wooden quay which constitutes the company's port of chiquila holboch sixteen miles long low-lying narrow is quite the island of one's tropical dreams a harmony of sparkling sand blue sea and palm trees an avenue of palms leads to the fisher settlement a square of wood huts painted bright blue and white built round a plaza of sand we had the bad luck to arrive at the moment when the fisher folk were about to launch themselves upon a sea of dissipation in celebration of the new year thus there were few who wished to launch on the other sea but yucaticans will do anything for money and we soon found a boat a dory of three tons the esperanza and a captain short stout bow-legged with rolling rollicking walk and eyes twinkling under shaggy eyebrows 
a big flap hat worn rakishly over one eye he was such a ludicrous mixture of the truculent and the comic that we christened him the amiable smuggler but no yucatecan can keep his word and our new friend's amiability was not proof against this racial failing thus having settled the terms overnight for the boat which was to take us round cape catoche we were astonished to find him at our hot door the next morning declaring he must have another four dollars a day it was all the fault of the new year festivities the poor fellow wanted to get drunk and he felt that if this could not be he must receive heavy compensation we compromised the matter by adding one dollar to the daily pay and agreeing to postpone our sailing till the new year was in we very foolishly advanced him and the two other yucatecans who were to form our crew thirty dollars and paid for our mistake by being obliged to spend the rest of the day watching the dipsomaniacal trio to check their gadarenic descent into senselessness the holbochians were not quite replicas of those proverbial south sea islanders who gained a precarious living by taking in each other's washing but their relations were if anything even more intimate for everybody appeared to be everybody else's brother sister cousin or aunt we were told that the whole village some three hundred represented the ramifications of practically only two families and the sickly pallor of some of the boys and girls suggested that this inbreeding was already making its evil influence felt there was not an indian in the place it was a community of yucatecan fishermen as indeed are most of the inhabited islands as far south as ascension bay they lead an easy-going loiter life swinging the sunny hours away in their hammocks and loafing the evenings away drinking in the tiny spirit stores presided over by a huge bloated dutch immigrant and his equally fat frau or love-making among the thorn bushes on the beach occasionally they fish or take a job as one of the hands of the small trading schooners which ply from progreso to cozumel but life is cheap and they do as little honest work as they reasonably can this indeed is the average yucatecan an easy-going creature fond of women fonder of drink and fondest of dancing if there is anything which awakens the yucatecan soul it is the charms of a la baile the ball the holbochians took it rather hardly that we had descended upon them at such an intempestive moment they would have so much liked to have given themselves wholeheartedly to the congenial task of dogging the footsteps of los americanos as they insisted upon calling us and jeering us at intervals but they really had scarcely time to spare for the whole village was agog over the new year's eve ball most yucatecan villages have dancing halls holboch had it was a large palm-leaf thatched open shed at the corner of the plaza 
wood floored round it were ranged wood benches from the centre roof pole hung two or three oil lamps and the decorations were flags dancing began at about eight the american traveller stevens was loud in his praises of yucatecan dancing perhaps it has altered in the last sixty years it certainly seemed to us the dullest performance we had ever witnessed those mechanical toys metal trays upon which are fixed several couples of tin figures which when wound up go slowly round and round in a melancholy way on the same spot give about the best idea of a yucatecan dance there is no life no spirited movement no gaiety in the entertainment perhaps this is really the fault of the orchestra it is difficult even to speak of yucatecan music without a shudder it is curious that a people so devoted to dancing even if it is only of the humming top type should have no music in them they seem to be ignorant of air tune or time their dance music is one long droning chant flat stale and unprofitable absolutely maddening in its reiteration reminiscent of childhood's jest about the tune the cow died to the band at holboch consisted of a kettle drum and a concertina there was no fixed orchestra anybody who was handy beat the drum and everybody in turn had a go at the concertina each performer adding his little best to the musicless horror of the noise there appeared to be no fixed step some couples hopped round some went round with a sliding slither and others seemed to be walking round rapidly as long as the music lasted the men's faces bore a look of concentrated earnestness the girls that of submissive boredom when the music stopped the girls were placed on the benches and the men walked out into the plaza and stood staring at them we were much interested in one performer a young fellow of about twenty we had seen him earlier in the day engaged in bathing in a pail a method of ablution requiring much persistence and now in the most spotless of linen breeches and colored cotton vest he had thrown himself heart and soul into the evening's enjoyment he danced as long as the drum beat and then he put his partner upon the shelf and came out into the plaza and mopped his forehead till the drum began again we bore with the scene for some hours because we held a watching brief in the interests of the crews of the esperanza for our amiable smuggler was very drunk and we hoped by keeping an eye on him to prevent him from becoming drunker and passing into a comatose condition he delivered himself into our hands for he came up and invited us to dance with him and as we were due to start soon after midnight we made this outrageous proposal an excuse for putting him in charge of the jefe who promised to see him into his hammock for a few hours sleep before we wanted him the second man was so far gone that there was no reasoning with him we had to let him lie where he was in the plaza 
and trust to the night air to bring him round by the time we sailed with the third sailor who was sober we took the boat round to where the deeper water allowed of her being ballasted and loaded by the time the boat was ready it was fast approaching midnight the dance was over the girls had left their shelves and gone home to their hammocks the lamps were out and a few belated revellers were straggling about or lying senseless on the sand which glistened snow-white in the moonlight we found our skipper in his hut he had pulled himself together and he came with us to find the first mate the latter was in his hammock in a drunken sleep and refused to answer to our repeated knockings we were for starting without him but the amiable smuggler said he had advanced him ten dollars and he had got to come he evidently knew his man for he called out some opprobrious words in spanish we did not catch what they were but a well-trained ferret never made a rabbit bolt from his hole as quick as those choice epithets brought the topper from his hammock the hut door burst open and before the captain could realize he had overdone it the fuddled nicholas rushed at him and hit him full in the face in a moment all was disorder the wives of the combatants rushed out to act as seconds and half a dozen neighbors tumbled from their hammocks and rushed over to see the battle but the yucatecan prize-fight under queensberry rules did not form part of our programme and we successfully intervened seizing the struggling men and held on to them till they had spluttered out the worst of their rage when the storm ceased as suddenly as it had begun and they fell upon each other's necks calling each other bueno amigo good friend escorting them down to the boat and leaving them to get the sail up we returned to our hut shouldered our baggage and carried it to the beach as the new year came in we were thigh deep in the tepid water a pale odenil in the moonlight wading backwards and forwards to the esperanza it was nearly two however before we got under way and the dawn of the new year's day found us but some ten miles down the coast the shores we now explored were historic indeed we were retracing the course of cortez as he cruised round from the island of cozumel whither we were bound but if they were historic they were singularly uninteresting the woods come down to within a few feet of the beach woods which never deserve the title of forests and yet are so impenetrable that no one who has not tried to cut his way through would believe it about midday we made a landing near to where it was said ruins existed and cut our way through two miles of bush ruins we found but they were of no moment and if they were indian they were certainly post-conquest it was a broiling hot day and their eyes suffered from the sun glare on reaching the beach again we were tempted to have a bathe though this is risky work at any part of the coast of yucatan for there are more sharks to the square mile than there are probably in any other part of the world 
but it was far too hot for us to be very prudent and we had a delicious plunge coming out none too soon though for while we were putting on our shirts we saw master shark showing his fins a yard or two from where we had been revelling in the green water we made many landings but they were quite disappointing in their results cape katochi itself is a low spit of sand separated from the mainland by a shallow channel about a quarter of a mile wide here a light has been recently installed the whole region for miles round is desolation just beyond the cape the coastline breaks into a large bay an immense wooded oval of shallow water guarded seaward by a natural breakwater of sand and entered by two narrow waterways east and west this great inlet framed in thick woods its sunlit gently rippling surface dotted with beds of reeds and straggling water flowers is the haunt of the sea-birds as we stole into their solitude vast flocks of ibis of gulls black duck sand pipers and the hideous brown pelicans rose and made off while fairest of all sights in the brilliant light was a flight of flamingos a pink cloud passing overhead there can be little doubt that this bay was the scene of that first landing of cortez on the american mainland which was destined so largely to shape the future of central america it was curious to land and wander in the desolate woods the battleground of four centuries past picturing to oneself the romance of it all further eastward we put in to examine some ruins which showed above the trees they proved to be those of a catholic church and monastery probably eighteenth-century work the church was full of bats which fluttered down from the mildewed walls frightened at the unwanted intrusion here and there along the coast southward from the cape we found signs of ancient indian settlements the ruins were in no way majestic but were probably relics of outlying fisher settlements and only interesting because significant of the building zeal of the pre-conquest indians this great sweep of coastline must have ever been what it is today swampy and impassable in no way inviting to the establishment of large cities such as chichen and uxmal but used rather as a vast hunting ground by the tribes of the interior even in typical tropic weather there is much discomfort in life in a three-ton boat so far the weather had been perfect and once round the cape we got the full benefit of the trade winds which blow here all the year round as dryden in his annus mirabilis writes but now the cape once doubled fear no more a constant trade wind will securely blow and gently lay us on the spicy shore our spicy shore was the fruitful island of cozumel of the fertile beauty of which we had heard such glowing accounts but once round the cape our troubles proved by no means over after a few days the weather broke the night was perfect a full moon bathed the quiet sea 
and the wooded coasts in a wonderful silver light and as we stared up into the sky from our bed of sand ballast sacks in the bottom of the boat it seemed as if the stars had never shone so brightly but with the dawn we ran into the fringe of what is known in the gulf of mexico as a norther and the weather ahead looked so dirty that we took refuge in a tiny islet called isla arena sand island it was an ideally lonely robinson crusoe spot a few deserted huts marked it as the occasional home of passing fishermen we swung our hammocks in that which had the most water-tight thatch and then walked round the island with the guns in search of duck in the centre was a touching little cemetery a square of sand humbly marked off with sea-shells the graves six of them each with a rudely fashioned wooden cross and black spirit bottles which had once served as flower vases stood around it is a wild life these yucatecan fishermen often lead and as we stood bareheaded by this garden of sleep those haunting lines on stevenson's samoan tomb came to our minds here he lies where he longed to be home is the fisherman home from the sea the hunter home from the hill here they rested lulled by the eternal sigh of the ocean so long their home the weather had scarcely improved when towards dawn we made a start for isla de mujeres had we known what was ahead of us we should have made sand island our home for yet another day till the sea had had time to quiet down in the deep gloom which heralded the approach of another day we tacked round cayo sucio dirty point and passed rat and pelican keys two miniature isles the sea was rough and choppy and a mile or so out a nasty squall came up and we hove to taking in all sail the little boat pitching and tossing like a walnut shell while we crouched under mackintosh sheets to keep us dry as was possible thence when the sky cleared we had a straight run down the coast the amiable smuggler had ominously talked of a via angusta narrow way but our spanish was so limited that his explanations were lost on us and his uneasiness as he stared weatherwards we took for the nervousness all yucatecans show in any risk it was about an hour after dawn that away to our left so far that it sounded like the last thunder mutterings of a storm long past we heard a low murmuring we looked seaward and the captain pointed to the horizon with the words las rocas across the dreary waste of water its night gray yielding to a sickly green in the chill morning glare it was at first hard to see anything then as we stared we saw at first a long thin black line white topped starting leftwards some five miles off and running in till its end was lost in the rollers ahead evenly marked it seemed like the black and white painting on a giant ship's hull 
and then in the minutes as we neared the white became broken into cloudlets showing up quick in succession like smoke of an engine above the edge of a railway cutting and quickly the murmuring turned into a booming like the hum of a great city's traffic heard from afar and the booming into a low intense thunder and as we passed into the tumbling waters the even lines were gone and we saw an endless belt of black coral rock closing our whole horizon the esperanza was heading for the reef at seven knots we ran to within half a mile and the thunder of the atlantic as it broke upon the demon-shaped jags of coral bursting in clouds of spray forty feet high was like the dry roaring of wild beasts the tiller went round and we veered a point or two more into the wind and then straight ahead we saw why the amiable smuggler had steered up so close to our right a smaller line of reef some two hundred yards long bent out from the shore to meet the three-mile leftward curve between the shore and the coral was no safe way even for boats of three feet draught such as ours ahead lay the only way between the deadly corals it was la via angusta and to us landlubbers it looked like the gate of a water hell an ocean fiend's cauldron of bubbling leaping gray water as the two lines of rock closed in on us the sea rolled down from the seaward reefs in a great slate colored foamless rollers from the level of the little boat they looked like moving hills the wind was blowing fresh on the quarter and the skipper had put the boat towards the bigger reef lest we should be blown clean on the smaller there was not a dog's chance for us if we capsized and an inch too strong of the helm and we must one second we sunk low between rollers looking down a lead-gray alleyway of water the next we were flung up light as an eggshell on the crest of a wave balancing there long enough to measure with straining eyes the distance between us and the hell of coral the next half hour seemed the longest we had ever lived it looked as if nothing but a miracle of seamanship could save the boat we heard the captain mutter a prayer to the virgin and the sailors their yellow faces now ashen gray crouched for ad clinging to the shrouds the spray soaking their thin cottons when we ran once more into the open atlantic we cared not for the fiercer waves which charged us breaking over the bows and drenching us for we had faced what was worse than open sea these reefs the graveyard of the yucatan channel are the terror of the locality and when wet and numbed we reached the picturesque little pueblo of dolores in isla de mujeres three miles further on the yucatecan fishermen collected amazed on the beach to hear how an open boat had lived through the deadly passage on such a morning we had risked much to visit the island but archaeologically it was not worth it here it was that the spaniards in fifteen seventeen got their very first sight of those stone buildings of central america 
which were as much a marvel to them as they are to us to-day the historians of the conquest describe a temple of stone surrounded by fruit trees and sweet-scented shrubs and approached by well-laid steps within the air was heavy with the smell of incense which burnt in stone and earthenware vessels before female idols clothed in cotton petticoats with the bosoms decently covered before these images were well-ordered files of women ministrants who served in the temple hence cordoba called the island isla de mujeres isle of women but all this old-time glory had disappeared the only village edges with its whitewashed huts their doors painted a light blue or green the shallow semicircle of sand which forms the islet's only anchorage behind this row of cottages the tiny cross streets are almost knee-deep in its pale yellow glitter away southward stretches a barren waste six miles long and never much more than a mile wide of rock and sand over which clambers a coarse leafed sea vine a coarser thistle plant with here and there a clump of fan palms only at the extreme southern end on a rocky bluff stands a relic of the dead people it is a solid built structure about eighteen feet square on the outside and containing two rooms fourteen feet by six each there is no ornamentation or hieroglyphics on it but outside facing east are two stone ledges like plinths for statues upon which local rumor has it once stood two gigantic statues of women near at hand is a small spanish watch-tower all to pieces a contrast to the well-preserved indian stonework we intended making the island a base for further exploration of the east coast and hired a hut which stood at the end of the village on a steep rock the reefs had so completely shattered the nerves of our crew that they declared it impossible to proceed to cozumel in the esperanza our belief in the proverbial halcyon calm of tropic seas had also been much shaken by our morning's experiences and we were inclined to agree with the frightened sailors so paying them up to the next morning we discharged them determining to hire a larger boat for the rest of our cruise but this was not the denouement which the amiable smuggler hoped or wished and he insolently declared that we must pay him for so many more days as it took him to return to the island of holboch when we refused he muttered something about reporting us to the jefe and disappeared we thought no more about it and busied ourselves in settling in to our new quarters about half an hour later we were sitting in our hammocks polishing our top boots with soft soap when a long scraggy-looking man arrived who declared himself to be a policeman he certainly did not look like one but he brought a message from the jefe politico that los otros hombres the other men were to appear before that functionary at two o'clock this was altogether too much for our british blood 
we had so far throughout our tour borne the yucatecan fool as gladly as we could but now our cup was running over in an outburst of spanish utterly ungrammatical but very much to the point we consigned him and all jefes to an even warmer place than isla de mujeres and bade him return with all speed to his chief and tell that gentleman that we were not the other men but british subjects bearing passports from the federal government that nothing would induce us to appear at two or at any other hour and that if the jefe wanted to see us he would have to come to us not we go to him we were very angry and the miserable yucatecan creature backed out of our hut abashed we considered the incident closed and continued polishing our boots but about half an hour later noticing a commotion at our hut door we looked out and to our amazement found a dense crowd assembled led by a fat yucatecan wearing a peaked helmet this was senor el jefe and behind him ranged in the order of their rank were all the officials of the island in the background stood the scraggy policeman who certainly thought that we were now about to meet the due reward of our temerity in flouting the thunderbolts of this caribbean island job and to be hanged drawn and quartered to make a yucatecan holiday we invited the jefe into the hut and in a few sentences explained that we intended no personal affront to him seeing that until that moment we had never had the pleasure of clapping eyes on him but that the insolence of the message was such as in dogberry's words was most tolerable and not to be endured and that we therefore could not apologize for our refusal to obey it the jefe as we afterwards learnt was a thorough old rogue but he had a fund of common sense in a few minutes we had explained to him that the amiable smuggler had already been paid his full wages and we were shaking hands all round the jefe assuring us that the message had been misdelivered that he had used the word supplica supplicates not manda demands inciting us to his court it was delightful to watch the evident chagrin of the policeman and the barefooted crowd who had hoped to see los ingleses haul down their collars end of section twelve recording by shenna sayre fresno california